All right, welcome to episode two, Business and Buckets. Thanks again for everybody that's tuning in. And yes, I'm getting hyped up to Lincoln Park a little bit. It's pissing cats and dogs again on another beautiful winter day in Seattle that is cloudy and dark and just kind of sucks your energy away. So getting fired up for the pod for you guys as we got a lot to cover. But we got episode two sponsored by Fueled Supplements. Got some swag uh, from my guy Josh Morin at Fueled Supplements. So super pumped uh, to get that sponsorship rolled out and you know spread the word with you guys. Uh, but health is wealth. You know, keep your immune system strong, reduce cortisol, detoxify your body on a cellular level, relieve chronic joint pain, and increase your overall energy and vitality with Fueled Supplement Wellness products. Field multivitamins and field greens are the immunity combo your body needs to be needs to be and stay at your best, especially through these times. I know I've invested a little bit more into my body recently uh, with the gyms being closed on and off and having to be reservations. I got this Echelon Connect sports bike, only a $500 price tag versus the $1,800 Peloton tag. Uh, they're, they're in stock in Walmart right now with free shipping, so highly recommend check those out as well. But... You know, start today with these supplements and uh, make sure you guys got your wellness locked down. Save a little cash while you can to invest in yourself. Uh, that's what I did with the bike. That's what I do with Fueled Supplements. So use your code BUCKETS at FueledSupplements.com, uh, the best place on the web for sports and wellness products. Once again, use the promo code BUCKETS for not 10, not 25, but 20% off your products moving forward. Also, another special announcement. So... Uh, we do have the business side of business and buckets, monthly podcasts, you know, potentially more depending on the interviews and coronavirus and how things go out. But I'm um, launching my first business pod uh, with one of my good friends and colleagues, Akira Barrett. Uh, at our office, we call him DJ Akira because he is known to spin some tracks as a professional DJ. So um, on the 27th, I'm going to release that as well as the business weekly business podcast. And really the big focus is going to be, you know, him and I sitting down and talking about his journey, what kind of skills and what kind of experiences helped him to get to where he is today. And I'm, I'm excited for him to be able to share that word with you guys and uh, be able to spread the, the business episodes out uh, so you guys can see what we got going on there. Super wild card weekend. So we'll do some recaps on on what happened the past week and we'll, we'll dive further into um you know, what had tran- what's transpiring for Divisional Weekend as well. Um, the theme last week, like I said, is who could run the ball and who's got defense. So the first game on that Saturday Super Wild Card, I was actually supposed to go snowboarding to Mount Baker. They've had, it's a, I talked to you guys about, uh, about it, it's a mountain up by Canada. And they have over 100 inches since New Year's, so pretty crazy snowfall. Ended up not going, friends couldn't come through, so... I was able to watch the full stacked weekend, a super wild card weekend. So, you know, more things I was able to see versus just my stat reading and guesstimates. So excited to, to dive into that further. But um, one of the things that I said last week that was going to be huge for the Colts was Mr. Jonathan Taylor, the ne- Nebraska stud, taking over. And he did pretty good. Uh, the Colts in general um, had nine more minutes of time of possession than the Bills because the Bills can't run the ball. Zach Moss had gotten injured. Uh, Singletary only had like six carries, I believe. Uh, but with that high-powered offense, you know, he's really going to have to be able to uh, go over the 100-yard mark. He finished with uh, 77. So not quite there. 
you know, it was a pretty close game. Like I said, I thought it was going to be the best game of the weekend. If I were to pick a game from last weekend I enjoyed the most, is probably that one. It, it kind of kick-started the weekend. Uh, but the Colts killed themselves, man. They they missed a field goal. Oh, Roddy Blankenship with the goggles. Uh, they went for it instead of taking the points before half. The Bills had quickly turned around that field and scored right before half to go up even bigger. Um, you know, they say take the points in playoffs, don't be risky, and they ended up losing by three, so that actually, you know, absolutely played a part. And, uh, you know, some of the key matchups I was looking into was Michael Pittman and Zach Paschal. They did really well. But the other X factor was Stephon Diggs. You know, I was talking about who the heck can cover that man. Well, uh, nobody could, apparently, because the man went off, right? Um, really, that offense is Josh Allen's arm and Stephon Diggs, and how can you, you match up with them? Beasley did end up playing, but... To me, it didn't look like he was 100% whatsoever. He was limping off the field. You know, I'm sure he'll be a question questionable tag for the next divisional game, but I'm sure he's going to play just because that's the competitor that he is, and he knows the importance of this game for the city of Buffalo and Bill's Mafia. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm honestly a little bit shocked from that game. Uh, the way the Colts had called the, the game, they've been you know on a roll besides the second-half Steelers collapse. And have been looking very good, so I was a little shocked to see that. Um, I was more expecting a, a more conservative and uh, you know taking the point play calling. So um, was a good game. Bills end up pulling up the dub. No surprises there. Um, but yeah, I mean the Colts kind of self destructed, and we'll get into the Bears game here in a minute. But they they pretty much did the same. So uh, the Bills got to take advantage of that and now get to host another pl uh, playoff game this weekend. Second game on Saturday was Rams versus Seahawks. You know, those we talked about the previous games being very low scoring and not a lot of rushing, um, but Cam Akers took over. I had talked about the week before he had averaged two and some change on a per yard carry basis, and I didn't think that he was going to have enough um, health to really make a difference with the Seattle uh, defense, but um, th that man took over and, and had a really awesome game. They ended up starting Wofford, but uh, he ended up getting hit in the neck. Looked pretty brutal. You know, I'm not sure what his status is for this week or what the Rams are planning on doing, but they had to have Goff because their other quarterback, Blake Bortles, uh, wasn't dressed. So uh, Jared Goff went in, didn't look very good through the game, didn't need to because that number one defense took over. But, you know, one of the big topics that we're seeing floating around is why the heck, why, why are you benching Goff? Why are you putting Wofford in, um, you know, McVay's talked about how Goff has been his guy this whole time, but is he willing to commit to him? Um, is there some you know lingering questions going into next season? I'm sure this next game will tell a big part. Um, but you know he had some decent plays. Cooper Cup was his number one guy. Cooper Cup was questionable in that game, has knee bursitis and is questionable for next week as well. So that'll be a big thing to look into. Uh, but that number one defense, man, what can you say? Run the ball and play defense, right? I This is one of the games that I had missed. I missed two games last weekend, and I just didn't see the, the Rams being able to run the ball, and they were able to do so a lot better than the Seahawks. Seahawks actually have ended up firing their offensive coordinator and are talking about uh, Marty Schottenheimer and are talking about focusing on the run game next year. So, you know, these teams that are, are consistently in the playoffs are even aware themselves that you have to be able to run the ball and you have to play smash mouth defense. And even with Donald in and out of the game, uh, um, you know, the secondary was able to take over and really clamp down on Russell. And he was struggling, you know, running around the whole game. 
I was able to watch it in 4K UHD. I talked to you guys about how cool that picture quality is. I had some friends over. I was like, man, check this out. I wish all the games were like this. So hopefully more of that in the future. So I think I enjoyed the quality of the picture more than uh, the actual game as the offense was was pretty messy. Um, But one of the things I was finding myself, because I know everyone that knows that I'm a Steelers fan is going to want to hear me talk about them Pittsburgh Steelers and and I definitely will and how ironic is it that you know one of my first podcasts are we lose to the Browns and I get to talk to you guys about that but at the end of the weekend I really found myself thinking you know if I'm the front office of the Seahawks where the hell do I go from here we gave up two first round picks and a third round pick uh, next year so a first and third in 2021 a first round in 2022 and they're starting safety at the time, Bradley McDougald, uh, for, for Jamal Adams. So they don't have first-round picks. They don't have a third-round pick. You know, they could do some some pick trading and some player trading potentially. Um, but, you know, where do you go from here? You've opened the divisional door. The Cardinals, I don't know if they're necessarily scared of you anymore. Uh, Kyler Murray's playing good ball. That team's only going to improve. They're a lot younger team than the Seahawks. And they have a couple free agency decisions to make. Um They've opened the door for the division, so I'm excited to see how they attack this next season. Uh, their last draft pick as a running back was Rashad Penny. You know That hasn't gone very well, so it'll be interesting to see how their running backs uh, um, come out because I believe Chris Carson's a free agent as well, who consistently shows he can't be healthy. It reminds me a lot of James Conner, actually, because when he's on the field, he plays well, but, man, if you want to stay in the NFL, you got to be able to play. And... Um, It'll just be interesting to see where they go from here. It's a very tough division. I think they got probably affected more than most teams without having a fan base. Uh, everyone knows, I keep forgetting the new name of the stadium, but I'm just going to refer to it as the clink. Um, everyone knows how loud the clink gets and how, how much that helps that team. So, you know, potentially they, they make a few key adjustments. They, they have their fans back. Maybe it's a difference for next year, but uh, that's really going to be interesting to watch and see how that plays out. Um, the next game was the night game. Saturday night, we had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tom Brady, TB12, versus the Taylor Heineke, Washington football team. That just sounds really interesting. Uh, But, you know, Heineke ended up starting. Alex Smith wasn't able to play. Uh, Rivera was even talking about potentially having both of the quarterbacks play, which I thought was going to be interesting to see how he handled that package. But, you know, Heineke did his thing. Um, A lot of the team members had praised him. But let's be honest, I mean, is that guy a franchise quarterback? Can he be the future of the Washington football team? I highly doubt it. But, you know, as I look at the game, look at the statistics, look at the roster and who they have signed, I don't think the Washington football team is as bad of a place or is in bad a shape offensively as I figured. You know, looking at the divisional future, you know, uh, the division's a mess. Doug Peterson getting fired. The Cowboys are kind of a mess, even though they have a ton of talent. So, you know, they could potentially be in a pretty good uh, spot next year. I did like Cam Sims. He's a third-year receiver. He looked really good in that game. And Terry McLaurin. So they do have some young players. Obviously, um, they have Antoine Gibson, who who looked really great this year as a running back. So, you know, they might be able to figure it out. They got their good D-line. Uh, they're going to have a pretty good draft pick again. And Rivera's holding down the culture. But I do think they need a franchise quarterback. I'm sure they'll keep Heineke as a backup if he's still signed. But it'll be interesting to see what they do. You know, they really bombed the Dwayne Haskins move. Uh, shame by them in the first place for making that happen. But I think with Rivera there, you know, a lot can change and, and they're going to be a scrappy team. But, I mean, I don't think there's a lot to say about that game. Um, the D-line consistently pressured Tom Brady what, the way we expected. They played a decent game, you know, hung in there. But Tom Brady was able to, uh, 
used the play action. Fournette had over 93 yards, which you can't let that happen. They they played uh, pretty you know seamless football and almost good enough football to where you think, how are they going to play up next week against the Saints for the third matchup of the season? And we'll get to that in a second. We switch over, switch gears to Sunday, uh, typical football day. Ravens versus Titans. You know, I was saying that would probably be one of the better games, maybe not the best game if we hadn't seen it already. And it almost went the exact way everybody expected. They were the Vegas favorites. I, I seen a lot of the, the professionals shout out for the Ravens as well. And I don't even know why. It's like, you know, I've seen Derrick Henry destroy these guys multiple times, but I had just feeling with the right players getting healthy at the right time, Patrick Queen, Clyus Campbell, that they were going to get the job done. And the biggest thing I can take away from that game was that Lamar Jackson run, man. I mean, I felt like I was on the sticks, NCAA football again. He took off, cut back right. It was too easy. And he led the team in rushing. Um, Hollywood Brown had over 109 yards. So, you know, they're going to definitely have to keep him heavily involved to keep that offense flowing. And they shut King Henry down. I mean, he averaged 2.2 yards per carry on 18 carries. It's not going to get the job done. I kept having this feeling second half going into the fourth quarter. Like, you know, Henry's going to do what he typically does. He's going to get that momentum. He's going to be smashing players, stiff-arming players. But we just didn't see that happen. So a uh, huge step forward for the Ravens, especially with the Steelers' loss. They could kind of crown the division, uh, be the big brother of the division. We'll see what happens in Pittsburgh, and I'm excited to dive into that further. But uh, it, was a, it was a fun game. You know, Ravens were able to pull it through, and I think that's going to uh, uh, be a huge momentum boost for them coming into the, uh, going to Buffalo and Bills Mafia. Bears versus Saints. Um, this is probably the, the most boring game of the weekend. Uh, the Saints, like I had mentioned, were 10-point favorites, and I said, put your money down if Kamara and Murray weren't playing. Kamara and Murray played, ended up being a pretty ugly game. The Bears pretty much with the play calling self-destructed them. It looks like as you know the the more recent reports that I see that Nagy and Price are going to be safe for for next season. I'm not too sure why. Uh, you look at that game. I mean, Nagy's got to find a new play call or something. It just wasn't cutting it. Um, but they had the Nickelodeon stream going on, which was kind of fun to tune in and check out. Uh, they did some cool little animations, and a lot of people were saying their kids were really in tune with it, and they wish they had it when their kids were younger. So it seems like a success, and might be something that the NFL could use to to get more money for the for the salary cap next year. So hopefully that works out good. You know, as an older adult and a fan, I don't think you could watch it. There was one point where the Saints were up seven to zero in the first quarter, and they were asking the girl announcer. You know, how does she feel about the game? And she's like, well, there's enough time left for the Bears to come back, even though the game had just started it's in the first quarter. So, I mean, they, they definitely dumb it down. They're explaining the rules on there. They had young Sheldon pop up, you know, explain some of the rules, which is cool. They had the slime touchdowns, getting slimed. Everyone is excited about that. Had some SpongeBob stuff and some player comparisons to Nickelodeon car- cartoons. Uh, so pretty cool idea, very creative, whoever thought that up. And I can't remember the, the guy's name is Lex something that was the announcer for it i mean kid couldn't be more than 14 years old so i thought that was really cool props to him at you know going through college and wanting to be adult i wanted to be a sports reporter and here he is out out front of the game in a playoff game going for nickelodeon so what a stud i'm sure he'll have a a lot of good jobs coming to his way in the future uh but you know it, it was interesting to see that stream outside of the nickelodeon stream the, the one thing that comes to my mind with that game is Javon Wims. They had a trick play, went right through his hands in the end zone. I mean, this guy, this could change your life, potentially give you a bigger payday. And he had a, a couple big plays before that. 
but just missed it. And I think that changed the momentum of the game. Uh, they catch that ball. Things are completely different. Play calling is different. But the way they've been playing calling, who knows? They'd probably self-destruct anyways. Uh, but that was huge. I mean, the Saints had 17 more minutes of time of possession, if that tells you anything. We talk about run and defense. You're not running the ball if you get out time possession like that. Montgomery didn't have a very good game. He had 31 yards of 2.6 uh, yards per attempt. And Kamara had 99 yards right at that 100-yard mark. So they were able to control the ball, play conservative football. I thought Breeze looked pretty good uh, with the with the ribs. So, you know, watch out Tampa. Uh, if, if he's healthy, that's going to be a deadly team to beat. That was my preseason Super Bowl team. I had him losing to the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. So rooting for them. Would love to see Drew, uh, Drew Breeze win another one, especially now that the black and yellow's out of the playoffs. Uh, but Trubisky, man, I, I think it's done in Chicago. If he would have had a standout performance, potentially saves the day. Uh, but I think you got to move on from Trubisky, especially for keeping the coaching staff. And uh, please, somebody take advantage of Allen Robinson's skill set. Can he get out of Chicago? Can they please get a franchise quarterback? Because that man is balling. He looks great. Would love to see him on a talented team where he really has the opportunity to shine. He does remind me a lot of Alshon Jeffrey before the injury and, and when he was really balling out in Chicago. So hopefully that man gets an opportunity. And then the nightcap. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Was this a brutal one. Right from the get-go, you know, it felt like Broncos-Seahawks Super Bowl all over again. I mean, uh, you know, I think Pouncey's a four-time Pro Bowler, uh, shoots it right over Ben's head, you know, give up, spot the Browns seven points. I didn't feel nervous, though. I felt like, you know, okay, we're big brother. We, we almost beat them last week. We've beaten them before, blew them out this year. We'll figure it out. And it was just situation after situation, and you just can't come back from that. You know, in the second half, I counted them out. It kind of felt like they had some momentum going, but it, it just wasn't going to go their way. But imagine this. You're Kevin Stefanski. You got COVID. You can't coach the game. You're in your basement. You know, Pretend this is my basement. I'm watching the game. And all of a sudden, up in the stairs, start of the game, upstairs in the front room, you hear your whole family freaking out like, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. And their stream happens to be ahead of yours by a few seconds. So... You know, watching the game as a coach, you're, you're dialed in. Maybe you're ready to text people. You're communicating with team members. I'm not sure. And you don't even know what's about to happen. Start of the game, snap over his head for a touchdown. Family's freaking out. I could only imagine just the feelings and the emotions going through him at that time. But that's got to feel good to know that Van Pelt held it down and they were able to get the job done because they got a big task coming up next this coming week. Uh, so I thought that was a really cool storyline. You know, their starting left guard was out. I thought they were going to struggle against the Steelers' defense. You know, Sack City, they're averaging the most sacks. They have a sack every game for the longest record in the NFL. And with their backup linemen, Stephon Tuitt, um, Tyson Alu-Alu, and Cameron Hayward weren't able to get the job done, or TJ Watt or anybody. Um, Alex Highsmith ended up getting hurt through the game. Uh, they had brought in Cassius Marsh, who's freaking God, God, just hot garbage. I mean, uh, if you're a Seahawks fan, you're very familiar with him, but I just couldn't believe that. They weren't making a lot of changes offensively, the Steelers. Um, they've had some offensive line issues, and one of their younger guys, Kevin Dotson, I talked that they should start. Didn't go in. Blows my mind. Then they have Robert Spillane back, and you put him on Jarvis Landry? Like, come on, you cannot do that. I mean, it was just embarrassing a little bit the way that they had uh, come about that game. I don't think that the Steelers really overthought them, but I think that they just had a scripted game plan that they probably can handle the Browns with and consistently handle the Browns. And with all the different 
tumultuous stuff that happened. I don't know if it could really happen. So, um, you know, it was tough to watch. It, it really was. I, I was checked out. I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm all in on the Steelers thinking that Big Ben's going to find a way and the Steelers are going to find a way to capture another Super Bowl and then potentially he'll retire. And they go out like this in the wild card. And you let, just like the Seahawks, the little brother know that he isn't little brother no more. You know, when you're a 12-year-old kid, you're scrapping with your brother and you finally can handle him or beat him in a wrestling match. Now you got that momentum. Now you got that confidence. The next few years are going to be interesting as the Steelers are making some critical changes, you know, potentially through coaching staffs, potentially through quarterbacks. And here the Browns are, Baker Mayfield with the team, just gaining steam. And a lot of their consistent cornerstone players, such as the running backs, Baker Mayfield, Austin Hooper now with that big contract will be uh, consistent. And they're probably only going to improve some of the linemen, some of the receivers that they have. So uh, that division is definitely going to be up for grabs just as well as the Seahawks division. Um, but you got to pressure the guy. You got to throw some stuff in there. So uh, terrible calling. I will talk about some of the overactions and who I think should be in and out of the team as uh, coordinators. But you got to get rid of Fitchner. Uh, you got to get rid of Butler. I believe his contract's up anyways. I mean, just some terrible calling. You got to make the adjustments on defense. Um, ben had four picks. Everyone's blaming Ben. You know, he's washed up. He can't do it no more. I don't know if you guys are watching the same Steelers games I am, but when that man calls plays, he goes out there and dominates. They completely script the game. Look at the second half is, uh, of the Colts game for a reference. Uh, but of the four picks, two were deflections off the fingers. You know, with Deontay Johnson, he's 5'10", you know, not that tall of a receiver. He's known for drops, though. Could Ben have placed it a little better? Sure. Uh, but heat of the moment, that's a NFL catchable ball. You got to catch those balls. Like, turn into interceptions. Don't really put that on Ben. Uh, the other one was batted at the line. Ben's had a ton of balls batted at the line. You know, people could blame Roethlisberger for that, but if you watch our offensive line play throughout the season, and another reason why you got to put Dotson in is he, he doesn't have enough time. Right, So when you throw the ball quickly, the D-linemen now in the NFL have too much film and are doing this too consistently, are going to put their hands up, which will lead to batted balls that went straight up, and a linebacker had the wherewithal to uh, quickly dive in and get it. The other one was later in the game, definitely Ben's fault. But I don't think Ben can't throw anymore. I've seen him do well. He has had some deep balls. He doesn't throw them as often. But how recovered was his elbow this year? You put him in next year, I'm sure his elbow strength gets better. He gets to improve that he's going to ha have some success. So um, a lot of people are calling for Ben's heads. There's a ton of over uh, reactions that we'll get into, and I'll dive into further. But Ben's definitely not the issue. I think they could bring him back for another year, and he could you know, have them playing winning football. All right, so... Juju potentially earned a big payday. Big game by Juju. I know everyone's talking him, trash on him with the social media and everything else, but I just don't think that he played, you know, very bad all year. I think he's been consistent. He's tough. He gets a hard yardage when he needs it. He'll throw the block when he needs it. Uh, the running backs didn't. James Conner, I don't know who's going to want him. I don't think the Steelers already signed him or could even afford to. Um, you know, same thing with the, the salary cap tightness the Steelers have. I don't think they have a better option than Ben next year. They can't sign a premier secondary backup. They don't have a good enough draft position to get somebody, you know, potentially get a Mac Jones, but I don't think he's going to be anything better than, uh, what our other options are. I don't think he's an NFL franchise quarterback. So, you know, with, with the way the salary cap is, um, I don't, I don't think James Conner's coming back either, but Rudolph isn't the answer. He played well against the Browns the week before. 
but we've seen him play. I just don't think he's a franchise quarterback. So with the salary cap, I think you keep Rudolph, you keep Dobbs if you can for cheap, just for emergency situations, and then you, you run it back with Ben. You know, he's still the leader. He holds the uh, culture. Players really look up to him. Uh, you can't tell me with that defense, they fix a couple holes, that that team can't be another playoff team and hopefully more than a wild card win next year if he if he plays well and is healthy. Um, supposedly, Marquise Pouncey is going to retire, though. Um, they've been on kind of a band with brothers situation where Pouncey didn't want to retire till Ben does and, and ride it out with him. If that rumor is true, it's not statistic, like factual, but people are saying that, uh, there was an inside report that he, he's, uh, leaning to retirement. You know, that might even, you know, question Ben. We saw him at the end of the, the, the bench at the end of the game. That was kind of heartbreaking. Uh, NFL Films got the audio of him saying, hey, man, I play this game for you, Marquise. Like, this is what it was for. I'm sorry I let you down. Uh, so that's got to be brutal. It's hard, you know, when you've you've been a vet that long and you're, re- you're really playing for a uh, specific few players and, and you can't come through. You know, when the Steelers beat the Seahawks, uh, it was Jerome Bettis' last year. He was supposed to retire the year before, but big men said, no, play one more year. I want to win a Super Bowl for you. He ended up doing it. Great story. So who knows what's going to happen. It's the NFL um, you know, that nothing's consistent in the NFL unless you're the Patriots. But uh, you don't throw for 500 yards in an NFL playoff game, no matter how bad the Browns' defense is, and tell me that he can't play football no more. That's what I got to say. You still got to have it. Like I said, let that elbow rest, gain some strength. We'll be slinging in no time. We got all these receivers that got their speed. They'll be okay. If I could trust in a franchise after getting their ass whooped on postseason TV, it's a black and yellow, okay? Quickly, Mike Tomlin, you go for it on fourth and one. I think that was one of the biggest momentum changers. I mean, all the shit that had happened, all the craziness that if you play a 10 times, you know, 9 out of 10 times, that shit's not happening. But you go for it on that fourth and one. Your offense had consistently been uh, pushing the ball down the field. You even said early in the year, if you can't gain a yard, you don't deserve to win. So why all of a sudden change? In the postgame, Tomlin said that he was confident in his defense because they had made a couple stops. But you're that far in the field, man. There's not that much time left. You get that first down, you get another touchdown, even more momentum, right? You get more rest for your defense. So I I think he has to go for it on the fourth and one there. You know, everyone's going to say you go for it and you get it. You, You agree. You don't go for it. You know, the things happen. You don't agree. But at the moment, I was with my friends. I was like, he's got to go for it here. They didn't go for it. You know, he says, we don't live within our fears. And we have to get a yard to win a game. So that, that was just really weird calling to me. And, you know, you got to give credit. These guys are coaches. They have to make decisions in split seconds. You know, here I am recording a podcast. I got to be able to think quick. And sometimes you forget stuff and things happen. Like, with all the shit that had happened, I'm sure there were some emotions and it's just hard to say stay in your groove. That it's hard to make a decision like that that far in the game. But I really wish they had gone for it. I really do. Get rid of Ebron, man. That guy can't catch. We gave him two years. You know, we could keep him this year. We could cut him, save some money. Uh, he's a little bit too much of a character for me. You know, I appreciate that. He lights up the locker room, but you're dropping balls. You're investing too much money into you. We've done it with Ladarius Green. We've done it with so many tight end options that aren't working out. I mean, at this point, you almost have to draft a tight end uh, or give Vance a chance. I mean, the guy never ran any damn routes. We use him as a running back or as a blocker for the run game. I mean, the guy is physical. He's a beast. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't complain. Give that guy the ball. He's got some speed. He's willing to play. 
Uh, so I hope we give him some more chances in the past game next year. We literally gave him nothing this year. I mean, you got to feel a certain way if you're Vance. You know, sure, I'll block for a Super Bowl winning team, but when we lose to the Browns first round, I don't know if I want to block for you guys all year. Like, I want some catches too. Give him some love. Uh, Johnson will be fine. You know, everyone's dogging Deontay Johnson. He's dropping these balls. Yeah, it makes me sick. But the guy is too talented. There's a difference when you have an Ebron who's got talent but is dropping balls consistently from numerous years. This is Deontay's third year, so pump the freaking brakes. And, I mean, the guy's dropping balls, but he creates separation better than anyone that I've seen in a long time. You know, Devontae Adams had a dropping ball issue for a while, and now look at him, and we all saw the talent there. I think this could be a pretty similar uh, 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 career here. And I do see a lot of Antonio Brown within him. I mean, this was the guy that we got back in the third round on that trade from Antonio Brown. He creates separation. He's got good hands. With, you know, I guess I can't say he has good hands when he drops the ball all the time, but he, he has, you know, tough contested catches. He'd gotten deep balls. He does the quick slants that we had done all season. So I think he's the future. I don't think we will keep Juju because with the way the salary is playing out in future years that – you know, people will play Juju a lot. I'm sure he'll take a little bit of a homer discount, but I think you kind of have to decide, do we want Juju or do we want Deontay? And there's just more talent with Deontay. I love Juju. He's a tough guy and does all the little things, but I think Deontay, you know, there's a reason Ben had him as his number one receiver and kept throwing to the guy. Even when Claypool erupted, Claypool's great. He's going to be the future of the team. Just signed with Jordan today, which I didn't even know young players really could do that. Um, I don't know a lot of NFL players signed by Jordan, so he's doing something right. Um, they're going to hand TJ Watt a blank check, right? TJ, how much do you want? That much? Damn. Okay, we're going to pay you, right? You keep that defense together. You have to keep that defense together. You got to have TJ Watt coming back. You know, hopefully he wins Defensive Player of the Year. Supposedly the the awards are already uh, figured out, but after that wildcard performance and, and Aaron Donald and that number one's Ram defense, you know, he's a fan favorite. It's probably going to go into Donald, but TJ Watt definitely earns it. He's number one in almost every statistical category this year. But yeah, let's talk a little overreactions. You watch the game, you go on Twitter, you know, you got the next Monday when you lose the playoffs, and the whole fan base is like, burn everything, start over, fire Tomlin, fire Ben, get rid of Juju, get rid of Con. They're just going for everything. And, you know, the Steelers are the Steelers because they don't overreact. They don't do brash decisions. They keep coaches. They keep the culture. They consistently run with things. Sure, we're underperforming, right? You could say the past decade, we're vastly underperforming. But I think the team could figure it out. I do like Mike Tomlin as a coach, right? I liked Mike Bill Cowher, and he never got to the big dance. It's the NFL. This isn't a league that's just easy to get to the championship. There's too many things, too many variables. Um, I think you got to run it back. You know, maybe another year or two, not playoffs, then we start thinking about Mike Tomlin. But as of now, I think it's too early. Fire the coordinators. Put some fucking money under some assi decent assistant coaches. We have Randy Fitchner. We got all these just shitty coordinators that aren't performing well. Why don't we sign some big names, put some money into coaching, get some good coaches? I do like Canada. He had influence early in the year with a lot of those jet sweeps. We're moving the ball, and then they stopped going away from it. So we, I think we need some better coaches, assistant coaches on the team uh, to make those adjustments. Um, another thing, with the social media, the juju, the claypool, Guys, these are kids that grew up with the internet. They're going to tweet. They're going to say shit. They're going to talk smack. Everyone talks smack. People talk smack all the time, right? Whether they post it on Twitter and whatnot. A lot of the time, these quotes are getting taken out of proportion. Like the whole gray faces with a quote that they had posted out made it seem like he was attacking the team. 
when really he's saying it's the we play the Browns twice a year every year. Right, we're going to play them the same way we do, no matter how good they are. It was a Mike Tomlin quote that says, "You know, gray faces. It's the Browns. It's a team we have to beat. It's a team that's in the division." Where people made it seem like, "Oh, it's the Browns. They suck." I mean, I said last week it's the Browns. They suck because I expected us to win, take care of business. That was a crazy game. It didn't happen. Such is life in the NFL. But I'm telling you, those tweets. You know, Jarvis and them can Corvette or what all this TikTok bullshit. I don't have TikTok for a reason. But, like, whatever it is, I, those aren't affecting the game, right? Jarvis Landry and team is like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, we're going to have a snap ball over their head and get a touchdown. We're going to – I'm going to get put on linebacker coverage, and it's all because of Juju. It's all because of Claypool. And what they're saying, that's bullshit. That has nothing to do with it, right? We're going to see a lot more of it as these younger kids come into the league. So, yeah, just quit bitching about it. Like, I see it on – it's like a top story on ESPN, on Colin Cowherd. Everyone's talking about, oh, you know, Juju's needs to cut it out. Like, no one should want him. He's too much of a character. Like, that guy plays hard. He has emotion. He's good for the locker room for the most part. You could ask the players. I'm sure they all appreciate what he brings to the table. So quit overreacting with the social media. It's getting taken out of control. When it comes to these overreactions, you look at the teams that win consistently. And how ironic is it that I'm talking about my Steelers losing in, in the playoffs to the damn Browns, and I'm going to praise the, the Patriots here on my second podcast. But such is life. But the reason I want to talk about overreactions is you see these Doug Peterson firings. You get rid of Wentz. Like, you know, it's like everything's so week to week. One thing bad happens. It's like the whole world's freezing over. I don't agree. If you look at the Patriots, they stuck with their core and really bought into this culture that Belichick provided and the system that won. And it's a pretty simple recipe from what I can see. I'm not an NFL exec. There's a lot more things that come into play here. But he didn't make a lot of brass decisions every season when they didn't win, right? They added to their weaknesses when they needed it. They have a franchise quarterback and a consistent core of players every single year. They always have a, a random running back stable. They never pay big money for top running backs. I think that's a lot why we don't see running backs drafted in the first round anymore, right? It's it, you know, Especially in today's world, you almost have to have a running back by committee. You can't give me five teams in the NFL that has a consistent bell cow back that's never injured, right? You look at some of the bell cow backs now. Dalvin Cook, they have um, Madison, who looks like a mini Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook's always hurt, right? Ezekiel Elliott, they have Tony Pollard, right? Tony Pollard did really well outside of Ezekiel Elliott's situation. So, I mean, the list goes on and on. I mean, if I could really think of one true bell cow running back, it was Christian McCaffrey until he got hurt this year. Right, so you just don't see that happen a lot. They they love those running back stables, or they'll get a cheap vet running back, or they'll get you know they have their top uh, league defense, and they usually have a playmaking receiver that they either draft or bring in. So let's look at this. There's six Super Bowl seasons: 2002, 2004, and five, 15, 17, and 19. In 2002, they had Dion Dion Branch as their playmaking receiver. They had Antoine Smith as a running back and a bunch of other random dudes. Their defense consisted of huge names, McGinnis, Seymour, Vrabel, Ty Law. So, pretty pretty on point to what I'm talking about. 2004 and 2005, big names on defense. Same ones, Vince Wilfork, Yadisante Samuel, Rodney Harrison. This is when they brought in um, a cheap veteran quarterback, Corey Dillon. And they added Randy Moss, right? Randy Moss, we all know who Randy Moss is and how, and how much of a game changer he is. In my opinion, the second best receiver of all time. So yeah, that's going to make a difference. 2015, just to give you another example of this running back stable. 
Brandon Bolden, Shane Vereen, Steven Ridley, James White. Top tier receivers, Amendola, Edelman. They had Gronk. Big time defensive, defensive names, Rob Nikovich, Chandler Jones, Vince Wilfork, Dante Heithauer, O.J. Mayo, or not O.J. Mayo, that's a basketball, Gerard Mayo, uh, Jamie Collins, Jarrell Revis, the McCourty brothers. So, you know, pretty consistent there. And obviously, the man TB12 has been here every year. 2017, LeGarrette Blunt, cheap option from running back. Still had the Edelman, Amendola, Gronk combination. Defense, big names, Jabal Sheard, Chris Long, Trey Flowers, Bartavius Mingo, Malcolm Butler, Logan Ryland, Patrick Chung. 2019, still got Gronk, still got Edelman, still got Tom Brady. They added Josh Gordon. They had uh, Guy, Van Noy, Stephon Gilmore. S point being, you can't freak out as a team if you have some of these cornerstone pieces, Right? With the defense that we have, you give T.J. Watt a blank check. And this is I'm just diving in the Steelers because I know them the best, right? I could use a lot of teams as examples. Again, email me, tweet me, comment on YouTube. If you guys want some content directly related towards your teams, I can do that even more. But just for the sake of time, this is just an example. The Steelers have those key pieces. They got Minka. They got a lot of uh, good defensive players. One of the top defenses in the league this year. You bring back uh, Big Ben potentially sign you know a couple players obviously they're strict on cap but they have playmakers you can't tell me that Deontay's not going to get better Claypool is not going to get better so if you're a fan of a team that's lost recently look at your team right if the Rams had lost I'm not going to freak out I have the number one defense in the NFL maybe Goff does or doesn't work out you figure out the quarterback situation you have a legit running back you have a stable of running backs to that point right you have your number one receiver your playmaking receiver so Point being is a lot of teams, you can't freak out all the time. Everyone just flips shit and loses it after one week. Uh, same with Seahawks fans. I'm sure they're, they're losing it now. You know, they fired Marty Schottenheimer, but I don't think they'll do a lot of other changes outside of that. So, you know, there is a winning recipe out there. I think the Patriots laid a good blueprint out there. If you're worried, don't worry too much. Unless you have a shitty franchise that's not one of the big-time franchises like the Black and Yellow. All right. So... Super wild card weekend it was pretty super. Lots of different things went on. I know I had a good weekend staying out of the rain and watching some foosball. But on the divisional preview, first game coming up this Saturday, we have those Rams that squeaked out. It was the upset that I didn't pick. I obviously didn't pick the Steelers game. Uh, versus the Packers. This is going to be in Lambeau. First thing I did, look at the weather. It's Lambeau. It's cold. Can you beat them there? They have injuries. Let's see what happened. Forecast, 33 degrees with partly cloudy and expected snow Thursday, Friday. So might have snow uh, uh, there on Saturday. So I do expect more of a Lambeau game. The Packers are favored by six and a five or six and a five, six and a half points, which is quite a bit in the playoffs. It's quite a bit. The Rams have the number one defense. You pressure the man, the myth, Aaron Rodgers. You put them in trouble, right? You eliminate their big play receiver. You got Ramsey. That's the matchup I care about. If I'm tuning in, I, I plan on snowboarding this Saturday since I didn't last Saturday, so I might miss this game. Definitely will have to watch the highlights because I want to watch Adams versus Ramsey. Get your popcorn, put a little butter, put a little salt, whatever you like on it, and get ready to watch the football because that matchup is like, if I'm a young kid that's a receiver or a cornerback, I'm watching those guys. These guys are top of the game, and it's going to be fun to watch. 
you know, um, Donald was hurt. His ribs or whatever's going on, they don't really officially give a report because they probably don't want teams to know. But supposedly he's playing. Sean McVay said, I can't remember what he nicknamed him, but the disruptor is playing no matter what. I doubt Cup plays. You know, he might play, but I want to see him play 100%. Uh, he did have 70 yards last week and didn't play 100%, so who knows. Uh, but it's going to be a good game. If we stick to our theme, defense and running the ball, I would be giving Cam Akers the ball 30 damn times because that Packers run defense isn't amazing. They have the Smith brothers, Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith, but I don't think it's going to be enough. If Akers can play the way he did against the Seahawks, I think they have a chance, especially in the shitty weather. You keep Rodgers off the field. That's why I think that 6.5 might be a good bet for the Rams. I'm picking the Packers to win, though. I don't know if I could pick the Rams with Goff, right? If McVay can't even trust Goff to start him, it's going to be hard for me to put put my two cents into him, too. But it's going to be a great game. It's football. You know, I think the NFC is less predictable than the AFC this year. I was telling my friends before the playoffs, I just have a weird gut feeling that a random-ass team out of the NFC is going to come through to the Super Bowl. And I had a feeling it was going to be the Rams. Then Goff broke his finger. Goff played like shit the last couple weeks, so I wasn't too sure about that. But hey, the Rams with that defense, they can make anything happy or happen. They don't need Goff to do too much, especially if Akers runs the ball the way he does. You could do some of those jet sweeps and uh, some of those runs with the receivers like they like to do with Woods. Uh, so uh, there's going to be a lot of, you know, it's going to sh- it's going to be interesting to see how it shapes out. But um, I want to know, now that there's only one team with a bye, how does that time off treat the Packers? I was uh, watching some podcasts before my first episode last week just to just kind of see what's out there, see if I could take anything away. And uh, they had interviewed, they have like uh, Aaron Rodgers Tuesdays on the Pat McAfee show. And Aaron Rodgers had tuned in, he's somewhere tropical. And he's like, yeah, I don't know, I'm just relaxing, read some books, like probably won't even watch the games. I think Rodgers can handle that because he's an older dude. But, you know, how do some of these younger players handle it? Can they, you know, whip right back into shape? And that goes with the Chiefs as well. So we'll see if the time off affects them at all as the Rams are kind of battle-tested. But they are a little beat up from the last game. So, you know, obviously I'm taking the Packers, but it's going to be close. That defense can do anything when you got the number one defense. You never know. Because running and defense, that wins championships. But this Packers offense is deadly, especially with Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams. you got Devontae. Their other receivers are okay. Robert Tonin is playing pretty good ball. Uh, but that defense has got to get a couple turnovers, I think. Ravens versus Buffalo. This is an interesting one. I put my NFL parlay down to win some money on Monday. And today, as I write the script, I just realized that I'm taking the Ravens. I'm not taking the Bills no more. That's right. I'm picking the upset. Didn't pick any upsets last week. I felt like Vegas. It didn't feel right. I knew some shit would happen. Had to be the Steelers, of course. But I'm picking the Ravens. There's a nice little forecast in Buffalo. 37 degrees and snow showers and wind expected. So Buffalo got some playoff winter football. I love it. I hope all the games are snow games. At least Lambeau and at least Buffalo. I looked at Kansas City. It's not supposed to snow. It's not snowing in the dome, Mercedes Dome, because it's a dome. But we're probably getting snow for this game. What's going to win? Run game and defense. Well, the Ravens, they got a good little run game going. They're, they're stirring up, right? Lamar Jackson led the team last week, but they have a little stable of backs. I don't think Ingram's playing. I haven't even heard what's up with Ingram, but he's kind of getting washed anyways. But you got J.K. Dobbins. You got Justice Hill and Gus Edwards. 
I would expect 20 to 30 carries from them outside of the Lamar Jackson specialized runs. And if Lamar Jackson breaks a run like he did, like it was NCAA football game against the Bills, they'll probably get some damage done. The little difference is, is we saw the pass game open up for the Ravens in the last matchup. I don't think that's going to happen against the Bills. I think Tredavious White and company is a little bit too much for the Ravens receivers. You know, Hollywood Brown's a speed guy. He's tiny, probably like 180 pounds soaking in wet, probably not even that much. So I, I think he'll struggle. I think Andrews is going to be the big piece for them in the play action game. And I think the Bills know that. So they'll probably key in on that quite a bit. But, you know, I, I just think the defensive experience the Ravens have, I think the corners for the Ravens, I, I, like I said, the Bills are really Josh Allen's arm and Stephon Diggs. Like, their running backs haven't gone well. Zach Moss is hurt. Singletary hasn't ran the ball very well, or uh, they don't even give him many chances. So I'm putting my money on Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters. I think they're too good. They're too experienced. On the defensive line, you got Derek Wolf. right? He came from Denver. He's been through the cold. He's been through the battle testedness. Had a good game last week. You got Clias Campbell, who said he's, you know, with the, with the coronavirus and him getting older, you never know when it's going to be his last game. So he said he's going all out every play. Uh, you got Judon. You got Queen to fill up the middle if Beasley does play. You know, Beasley looked pretty brutal. So if he does play, I would say he'd be like right around 50%. So he's not going to want that action. He ain't going to want to get touched. So I'm, I'm going with the Ravens. I think it's going to be a little bit too much unless somehow Josh Allen could really get some things moving on his feet. Singletary can open up the run game so they can spread the ball more. But yeah. I was surprised myself, end up taking the Ravens. They just feel like the team that's, you know, been in this situation. It's kind of like them last year when they lost to the Titans. I think it was too big of a moment, too early for them, and I think that's the same thing for the Bills. But we'll, I'm sure we'll see more of them next year, especially as they improve that roster and get some wide receiver depth outside of Stephon Diggs. From there, we got Browns versus Chiefs. I mean, it's probably going to go on the over, right? It's going to be a high-scoring game, but I don't think Baker and company is going to be able to hang with Mahomes and company. There's too many weapons. You got Travis Kelsey. You got the Cheetah. You got, you know, track star receivers like McCole Hardman. Um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to play. So I just don't think they're going to be able to keep L, and they have Le'Veon Bell, which who hasn't done anything. Uh, but I just don't think they'll be able to keep up with it. Same thing as the Ravens. They're going to have to feed their running backs. You know, I would expect them to give Chubb and Hunt a massive amount of carries. Especially, they don't have to take too much damage in that shellacking of the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, I would expect them to come out running the ball. Um, just like we talked about Rodgers. Does the time off affect the Chiefs at all? I don't know. Um, I believe they had a bye last year, if I remember correctly. So, they, they have been through that. You know, going through a Super Bowl run, you have a lot of preparation. They have Andy Reid as coach. So on those big uh, breaks, you look at the coaches, and I, th I think uh, uh, the man, the myth, um, Andy Reid is, is more prepared, more than prepared for that. And then what I would say is matchup of the week, not because I don't think it's going to be the best game, but because it's two legends going at it, Sunday night primetime. You got Drew Brees, could be his last game ever. You got Tom Brady. He might play for 30 more years. Nobody knows. It's the vegan diet. Whatever he's got going is working for him. Um, like I said, I had picked the Saints preseason to go to the Super Bowl. They've destroyed the, the, the Bucks two times. We talked about the Steelers and how the Steelers had been destroying the Browns throughout the year. So that doesn't always mean anything. Uh, but I do expect the Saints to pull this out solely on that defense. Um, hopefully they have their uh, D.N. Hendrickson back, who was one of the league leaders in sacks. Uh, but Thomas looked good. I didn't see any issues with Drew Brees. That Tampa Bay defense is a little bit more stout. 
uh, than the Bears right now. They have Devin White coming back, which was one of their top uh, draft picks at linebacker. He's quick. He could hit. Uh, he could help with those swing uh, wheel routes that Kamara runs and, and crew. Uh, so it, I think it will be a good game. I think, you know, Tom's going to scheme up whatever he can to make this happen. They have lots of film against each other. But with, without Evans healthy and Grok not as fast as they used to be, they're really going to have to rely on Chris Godwin. And if I'm Tom Brady, I'm finding a way to give the ball to Antonio Brown as many times as Big Ben did. I think Antonio Brown's more than healthy, right? He has less miles on him because he's been on and off with all these off-field issues. I'm giving that man the ball. I'm letting him be the playmaker. It seems like Ronald Jones probably isn't going to play. Leonard Fournette had a good game last game, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, but can Tom make the throws that are necessary? If he's getting uh, pressured like he was last time and they can't run the ball, it's going to be too predictable. And they have a pretty good secondary. They have Malcolm Jenkins, uh, Janoris Jenkins, Jack Rabbit, and they have uh, their number one receiver, uh, Lattimore. So, you know, I just don't see them being able to overcome it. When you get beat 38-3 to like they did earlier this year on Sunday night football in front of everybody, and you have to play him on Sunday night football in front of everybody again, there is that mental wherewithal. I just I just don't know if they'll be able to overcome it. But I would expect it to be a close game because Tom Brady is just too competitive and, and he's a cheater. But um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, that's probably the, the Belichick-ness of the Patriots. But who knows? Uh, it'll be a fun game. It's Sunday night for a reason. Everyone's going to want to tune in and watch. But I'm picking the Saints. A couple other things I wanted to note that, that had uh, uh, spurred with me. I'm a little shocked about Doug Peterson. The front office is supposedly couldn't get the chemistry going with him, uh, but I think that was definitely an overreaction. <laughs> a funny thing I saw today, the Raiders are hiring Gus Bradley as a defensive coordinator. I think that's a genius move. I think the Raiders, you have to go all in next year. This is a big for John Gruden and squad and Derek Carr. But on the website, they put a pic, uh, picture of Ken Weisenhunt. So, um, you know, kind of disgraceful that you hire a new defensive coordinator, put the wrong picture up there. I thought that was kind of a hoot. And then lots of head coach openings. You know, we'll probably see some matching happening. I know that the Jaguars are waiting on uh, Meyer for some reason. I wouldn't want them, but, you know, they really want Urban. So we got the Jaguars, we got the Chargers, the Jets, the Falcons, the Lions, the Texans. Some offensive coordinator and defensive coordinators opening up. Chuck Pagano retired for the Bears. Uh, we have the uh, Seahawks now with an offensive coordinator position that you know would be pretty hot having, you know, the receivers that they do and Russell Wilson and crew. So lots of cool um, openings. I think we're just going to see the league shifting more than it has in a long time with these older quarterbacks, you know, retiring. We have a lot of young people coming in. Head coach movements uh, changing. The landscape changes in the NFL. It's not always consistent, right? It's one of the tougher leagues to be consistent with. So it's it's kind of exciting. There's a lot of what-ifs, and I think it's going to be a lot harder to pick Super Bowl picks and champions throughout the next few years as it's just going to be a changing landscape. You know, maybe that's not true just because of Mahomes and the Chiefs. They're just, like, set up for success for a long time, almost like a dynasty. But outside of that, the rest of the league, you know, the AFC North's more open. The Seahawks division's more open. There's just a lot of things going on, a lot of movement that it's going to be fun for the league. And if you're a team, you're a fan of one of these teams, it might be more exciting for you because you, you do have that, you know, shot of freshness coming in like Justin Herbert and the, and the Chargers. You get a good coach. You got some good systems going on. You never know. Uh, you could really make a difference there. I want to say San Diego. I just It feels more natural. I hate that LA has two teams anyways. The fact that I do like it, though, is I got that new stadium, cheap flights from Seattle to LA, going to the games. Steelers play the Chargers next year. Hopefully they don't underwhelm me. Um, probably will. Hopefully they don't get rid of Ben. 
Hopefully we get our shit figured out so I could watch a good game in L.A. Alrighty. I will have a lot of segments coming up in the show as well. I'm looking to have a segment for the haters. So, you know, very big um, topics that people always like to uh, battle on. I'll be able to give you guys my takes, such as the LeBron versus MJ debate. I'll have a segment called Shots from Deep where I just take crazy um, analysis on maybe the games that week or something that's going to happen within the season or just taking dark horse picks. And if you guys have some cool ideas for different segments I could do, uh, you know, fire them away. I'm always open for feedback and, and, and inspiring ideas. Uh, but I'm looking to have a lot of that happen now that football will be almost over after the Super Bowl. That offseason, you know, got to be creative with some topics and a lot of things to go over. So I'm excited to bring that to you guys once, once football is out of the way. But for now, we're focused on football leading into the NCAA championship. Super happen, uh, happy that it happened. There was rumor that it might get pushed back because of COVID protocols with Ohio State. I believe there was like two or three players at Ohio State kind of couldn't suit up for the game. Um but watching that game, there was one headline that everyone needs to care about. Devonta Smith, man, that guy, I mean, that kid really is a kid. I mean, he seems so humble. You would never guess that he's a football player when you interview him. And he was out there killing the guys. Three touchdowns, 200-something yards before half. Uh, injured his hand the second half. But, man, that was really cool to see. And supposedly he wasn't even the best receiver on his team coming in. Uh, Waddle was supposed to be the best guy on the team. He was the one with the big headlines. He got hurt. This kid stole the show, and I'm sure he boosted his draft class to probably top 10 pick, um, which is a nice payday, and uh, will be interesting to see who does that. You know, you know, first thing I think of is maybe the Bengals, right? Joe Burrow, get Devonta Smith there. Uh, that would be pretty deadly. Um, there's, lots of, there's lots of openings for him. Miami, I mean, we could go down the list. Everybody could use them. But, man, what a freaking player that was awesome to see. When I watched the game, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to be praising my Steelers and how good they are all the time, but I, I saw a true classy championship team with the with the Alabama Crimson Tide. I didn't see them, you know, talking shit. I didn't see them looking sloppy or doing anything crazy. It seemed like a very respectful and classy team. Even after the game, they were respecting Ohio State. They were talking to Najee Harris. reason I know about this is I want the Steelers to get him as a running back. Uh, but he's super quick, you know, really good player, was taking hits, bouncing off guys, doing his thing. And they're like, well, how does it feel to effortlessly win the championship against Ohio State and effortlessly kill them? And he was like, man, I didn't effortlessly do shit. Did you see him whooping my ass, hitting me? He's like, they were brutal. I was just able to bounce off them and get the job done, but it wasn't effortlessly. So he was giving the team credit. I like that response. I really like that guy as well. Leatherwood is an animal. If you guys saw him hold the championship trophy, that guy is massive. I'm sure somebody just on size and speculation will make a move on him. He's got to have strength, and I'm sure if you get the right coaches within him to develop his skills, that guy's going to be an animal for a long time. I just like kept looking at the guy like, holy shit, could you imagine him being on your offensive line? A lot of people want to talk about this being the best team ever. Bama versus LSU. You know, there's a, a good debate because of all the offensive talent. You look at the receiving core that Alabama has. It's kind of nuts with Waddle and uh, Devontae, and you look at last year's team as well. Uh, but I'm going to go with LSU. The big reason I'm going with LSU is I think their defense was a little bit better. You know, Alabama, a more weaker defense than normal. You know, they did play Ohio State, who I, I, don't, th I don't think too highly of. I think Clemson would have put a better matchup against them. But 
Um, I think their defense was better than Bama's, and I take Joe Burrow over Mac Jones. I think Joe Burrow, we already know, is a, like a, a actual NFL quarterback. I don't think Mac Jones is. No offense to Mac Jones. I just don't think he's got the skills and ability to be in the next league uh, as a franchise quarterback. So I'm going to take LSU. That's my hot take on that debate. You know, a lot of people are giving criticism to Waddle playing, but he shouldn't have. You know, it's hard. The kids want wants to play. Sure, could he hurt himself before the next game? But I would want to go on the field for some time too, man. This is the only time I get to do this before I go to the NFL. Like, put me out there. Let me run a couple routes, be a decoy. I don't care. So, you know, everyone is talking crap about it, but I don't think, you know, put the guy on the field, run a couple routes. You know, if he was in the game, the whole game, it might be a different story. Um, that game definitely chilled down the momentum train Justin Fields had. There was rumors of Justin potentially going number one over Trevor Lawrence uh, after that performance, and if he had a good performance here. I think that's crazy in the first place. I think everyone knows that Trevor was the number one guy for a long time. And um, I've even seen in some mock drafts that have come out since the game, Zach Wilson going higher than Justin Fields, which I don't agree with. I don't think Zach Wilson's going to be an NFL quarterback myself. But, hey, a lot of people are high on him after this year's performance. So it definitely slowed the roll for Mr. Justin Fields. Um, please increase the playoff field. The four teams, it's just not kind of to me. There's going to be too much room for debate. I think that I know that they've, you know, kind of segued and phased into the, the four teams so they can segue and phase into a larger field because you can't drastically change the NCAA. That's just the way it is. But I'd love to see the eight teams. I could imagine, you know, the Power Five winners probably will have an SEC runner-up in there every damn year with how big the SEC is and how dominant they are in the, the polls. And then you got the two underdogs that could come in there, the Cincinnati's, the UCF's, or whoever. And I think it'll just give more dogs to the race. It'll be a lot more fun. And it'll eliminate some of this bowl game issues that we have because a lot of the big bowl games, as I was talking to you guys last week, lose their lust because all you care about is the playoffs. So hopefully they do move that in and less bully. So the big playoff games are the big bowl games anyways. And I got to give props to Mr. Sarkeesian. I was watching some of the play calls in that game, and he was dialing them up. Obviously, he has the skilled players to do it, and they're a lot more skilled than the other teams. But um, there was a play where he had Devontae come out, fake a bubble screen, run back out, catch a wheel route for a touchdown, stuff like that. You just don't see the way he had drawn it up. Uh, it was awesome. Have fun at Texas. Have fun getting beat by Oklahoma every year and Lincoln Riley as they got their hot quarterback, Spencer Rattler, and will be running train in the Big 12. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how he does as a head coach. I'm excited to see if maybe some of that Texas-Oklahoma rivalry could come back. I was looking at ESPN's article, the top 25 next year. One Pac-12 team. I always talk shit on the Pac-12. If you guys are Pac-12 fans, sorry, going to talk a lot of shit. We got three big teams in the next year. We got They got USC, they had Oregon, and then Washington right behind Oregon as well. It'll be interesting to see if someone can finally make a big game, push for a playoff chance. I was looking at the schedules. I got some interesting things going on. Only USC finished in the top 25 this year, so that shows you how bad the division was. I don't think they played a lot of games throughout the conference, though, because of COVID. They started late. It was just kind of a shit show. They were trying to give Oregon a chance or USC a chance, and they weren't good enough anyways. But USC plays Notre Dame next year. Right, they have this Slovis kid. He's young. He looks pretty good. You know, they're expected to to perform pretty well next year. Oregon has Washington and Ohio State. So obviously Washington plays Oregon. USC escaped the top dogs in the Pac-12. So they're playing big non-conference teams. Washington has Michigan, right? Michigan kept Harbaugh, so 
you know, they must want to stay competitive. I know they have this new quarterback, Sam Ward or Ward, who's taking over most likely, and he pushed a, a lot of their other quarterbacks out. And then Oregon has a new quarterback coming in, Ty Thompson, who I watched in the Elite 11. I think he was ranked like four or five in their uh, uh, class out of high school. Kid looked legit. I'm sure he's going to do well with the speed that, that Oregon usually provides. So it'll be interesting to see how the Pac-12 rolls out next year. Um, but again, Sarkeesian, enjoy getting beat by Oklahoma. Um, Sermon got injured in that game. Just wanted to bring this up. It's going to be interesting to see how he gets drafted after some monster performance in some big-time games. And we'll see what happens there. Uh, but, you know, he could be a sneaky guy that gets drafted third or fourth round that could perform for a team. Um, based off his name in Ohio State, I'm sure he'll get drafted earlier. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And I got to apologize. I thought the UFC fights were last weekend. I'm so excited for UFC fights to be back that I was hoping they were last weekend. But they're not. They're this weekend. So I'll dive in on some of the bold predictions that I have, some fights that I think are going to happen that are rumored to be happening, and we'll talk some fight game. Um, since I did miss the fights by an actual week. So yeah, let's talk fights. So I talked to everyone last week about taking Holloway and Magny and the fights coming up this weekend. Sadly, the the first card on ABC doesn't have a lot of names I'm aware of. Doesn't seem like a lot of big names outside that amazing final fight. Um, you know, I'm going to tune in, hopefully learn a little bit about those guys. Uh, I am snowboarding Saturday, but I'll record it uh, for you guys to, to give the breakdown. Um, but last week off the fights, got three fights in Abu Dhabi coming up uh, before the big Conor McGregor-Dustin Poirier rematch. So super pumped for that. So let's get in some, pro- some bold predictions. It's 2021. Last week, I was getting a little excited looking at the rankings and firing out fighters that I would hope would fight. And I, I want to see fight for the fans. And I got some some good predictions of myself that I think is going to happen. So first one, everyone wants to know about Khabib. Dana White supposedly going into the free agency conversation, hot and guns a-blazing with the guy. I think he fights GSP. I really do. Uh, I don't think he'll come back for a Conor McGregor rematch after the whole country, country beef. I just don't see him wanting to even do something like that. But going and getting their 30-0 I think would be very appealing against GSP. I still see GSP working out. Guy's an animal. He's not in his prime. You know, it'll be an interesting fight. I'd have to take GSP just because, but I definitely think that's going to happen, and I don't think he'll ever fight Connor again. Especially when Dustin whoops Connor's ass, and Dan Hooker beats Michael Chandler, and Hooker's calling Connor out. Why the hell would Khabib want to deal with somebody that's fighting Dan Hooker? No offense to Hooker, the guy's a stud, but I just don't see that happening. He'll probably end up boxing Pacquiao for a bajillion dollars and then, you know, make a couple more fights just to get some money. But I just don't see that happening. One of the more intriguing woman fights, I do think Wei Lei Zhang ends up fighting Rose Nami Yunus, and I think Rose wins. Uh, there is rumor that Rose doesn't want the fight. Her coach said that he, you know, absolutely we want the fight. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, I do think Rose will end up with the fight. There's rumor that, ah, uh, what's her name? Um, let me see. I got the ranking. Oh, Carla Esparza, one of the ultimate fighter winners, will fight her instead. Uh, if that happens, Carla's going to get her ass whooped and Rose will be right in there anyways. But hopefully Rose gets the fight first. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a big fight I think is going to happen. I think Rob Whitaker, who's kind of gaining his momentum back after he said he wasn't taking fighting seriously. I think he's going to fight Paula Costa. That's number one, number two. That's an easy match to be made. I think Robert Whitaker's 
probably the only one in that class that can beat Izzy right now. I think with the new fire that he has, he has that potential. So I think he beats Costa, which will be an awesome brawling fight, as long as Costa actually fights this time. And I think John Jones is going to be champ champ. I think he ends up fighting Stipe after a Stipe and Ghana rematch. I think Stipe will get the job done. And um, they'll probably put John Jones against Derek Lewis or Rosenstrike or someone like that for his first fight. He'll get that dub, out-wrestles him, abuses him. And Stipe will probably retire, right? You lose to John Jones. You're one of the best heavyweights of all time. You know, he's firefighting. It looks like he's taking, you know, being a dad and family pretty serious. So I believe he twitches. I don't know if he has much of a twitch following, but I'm sure he's getting money there just from his name. So I doubt that he'll want to fight much more after that. And then I think Izzy beats Jan Blakovich. But I think he vacates the title at light heavyweight once John Jones, you know, isn't focused on him. And why would you want to take a fight against the number one contender, Glover Teixeira, this old guy who's been beating the shit out of everybody, who's very well respected. And I think he fights Robert Whitaker in a rematch after he does take down Paula Costa. And then who knows what's going to happen. You know, I'm only picking this year as of now, but I think that's what happens. So a lot of you fight fans, everyone thinks it's just going to be Izzy and John Jones all of a sudden. It makes no sense for John when you're moving up to heavyweight. You're focused on that. That's a bigger task and challenge in, in itself. I don't think he could go to heavyweight, fight, or fight Stipe right away, win the championship, and fight Izzy at the same time. So I think that's a to-be-determined based on John's performance at heavyweight. <laughs> Um, Colby Covington. I think he ends up fighting Masvidal. I think he beats Masvidal. It's going to be an awesome fight. You got the cardio machine breaking his jaw within fights. You got, you know, Street Jesus out there, bare knuckle brawling. That's a fight that has to be done. I hope it happens, but I'll, I'm going to take Covington on that one. I think the king of cringe, Henry Cejudo, comes back and fights Damonson Figueredo. I think Damonson's end up going to fight Cody Garbrandt like originally scheduled. He holds the title, and that's what lures Henry out to get a decent enough payday to fight again. And I'm going to go with Figueredo, man. That guy's a stud. You know, you look at Henry. He's got one of the best fight camps. He's got all these scientists, and listen to him on, uh, on Joe Rogan podcast the way he handles it. You know, I almost want to pick Henry, but I can't stand him, so I'm going with Divas and Figueredo. I love the way that guy's been fighting. Please put him against uh, uh, Mighty Mouse. Get Mighty Mouse back in the picture, let him fight Davidson if that happens. I think Bantamweight's going to be an evolving door through the title. I'm picking Aljamain Sterling to beat Mr. Pewter Yan. I could see that happening. You know, supposedly Rob Font wants to fight TJ Dillashaw in his first fight back in the UFC. So let's say that happens. Rob Font t- uh, beats TJ Dillashaw. I could see Rob Font going up to the title. He could beat Aljamain. TJ could beat Aljamain. So I could see, you know, multiple people going through that title. So I don't think that's going to be a consistent uh, champion in that weight class. I do think it's going to be a, a revolving door. And then the UFC has to do Holloway Volk one more time. I kept looking at the rankings. I'll pull them up again. It's, if, if Holloway beats Qatar, Cater, which I think will happen, what the hell do you do in this weight class? First ranked guy, Holloway. Second, Ortega. He already beat Ortega. Third ranked Zabit. Fourth ranked Yair. Rumored Zabit versus Yair. It's supposed to happen multiple times. Yair's got a bunch of stuff going on right now. Does Zabit end up fighting Brian? I don't think Zabit could beat Brian, which still keeps Holloway up there and doesn't let anyone leapfrog him for the title. Even if Zabit and Yair fight, do they leapfrog for the title? Doesn't make sense to me. You got 
Chan Sung Jung, Korean Zombie, Calvin Cater, Josh Emmett, Mr. Clean. I'm putting that nickname out there if he doesn't already have it. He looks like the Mr. Clean guy. Guy's an animal, shredded his knee the last fight, beat the guy with the shredded knee. If he could somehow be healthy and fight, you know, maybe he could be the guy. I like Mr. Clean. But the only other way is if Calvin Cater ends up beating Max Holloway. That's the only way I could see something else happen. But if Max does what he does, because he's Goku, he's the man. We showed his fight record last time. I just don't think there's anything else you can do. And I do think Holloway won that last fight, and I think Dana has got to run it back. It'll be interesting to see since Holloway is fighting before Volk. What happens? Because, you know, my word of advice, if I was Holloway, would just like, you know, let the division figure itself out. You've beaten everybody. You can't beat the champion. Well, you can, but, you know, it's hard to get a third fight with the champion when you've lost twice. And and see what happens, and maybe you can get back in there. But, you know, the man's a legend. He doesn't want to slow down. He's having fun. He's fighting. He's doing his thing. But I can't wait for the first fight on ABC Saturday morning. Going to be an awesome one. We got the playoffs. We got the fights. We got Supercross this weekend. Sports are back in action. It's a great time of year. And outside of that, you got Jeremy Stevens, Sadiq Youssef, Danny Gay, Shane Burgos, Ryan Hall, Bryce Mitchell, Edson Barboza. I just don't see any of those bottom guys getting up, fighting for the title before Volk loses it or retains it a couple more times. Lots of good fights so far, but I also think there's a couple more. I think Nunez ends up fighting Shevchenko. Can she win? I don't know. I really want Shevchenko to win. But I think they have to do that. So lots of good fights coming up. Some of these are already rumored. Right? Wei Lang versus Rose. Rumored. Jones moving up to heavyweight. We already know that. Whitaker Costa makes too much sense. Covington Masvidal has been rumored. Right? Figueredo versus Garbrandt was already supposed to happen. So yeah, lots of sweet things happening in the fight world. I'm happy fights are coming back. We do have... You know, a string of three events and then another little layoff before more fights. But lots of cool stuff coming before that three title fight. Um, There's three title fights coming up in the event. I don't know. You got to look at SureDog. You can't even look at UFC anymore. Their website's garbage. UFC Fixer website. But um, lots of good fights coming up for the... uh, I can't remember what UFC it is, but it's um, the Usman card. There's three different title fights. So lots of good stuff coming in. It's not even the Usman card. Usman's in February. It's the Nunez-Megan Anderson card. There's three title fights on that. I believe it's in April, maybe even March. So lots of good stuff early season for fight fans. How about the NBA? Let's switch gears to the hardwood. There's a few things that have stuck out to me since we talked last. I did a little dive, gave some updates, some pulse checks, said I was going to give you guys a rankings, a power rankings, so we'll get into that as well. But just in the weeks since I've talked last, I mean – Man, Zach Levine, what a walking bucket that guy is, right? 45, 49 points the other night. Too bad the Bulls aren't a walking bucket and have no defense and can't get their shit together because, man, oh, man, is that guy balling. The Nets have a lot of talent. I just don't think they'll come out of the East at this point. Kyrie Irving isn't showing up. Supposedly he's on a Zoom for some political campaign. Steve Nash has no idea what's going on. Unless you could get Kyrie Irving roped in and really focused, I just don't think it's going to happen. There's too much drama. Spencer Dinwiddie is a huge loss for them, having him out of the lineup. Um, It's going to be tough to come out and have a consistent playoff run in a seven-game series against uh, teams, especially like the Bucs. 
Man, Jeremy Grant, I have him on my fantasy team. Amazing. This guy is a walking bucket. He's definitely the guy the Pistons hope they paid for. He's been balling, so it's been fun to watch him on a terrible team. And Bradley Bill, man, I wish the Heat would make a move for him. He just signed that fat contract. You know, initially you would think, I don't think that guy could get anywhere. But if you guys remember last week, I talked about Deshaun Watson. I would love to see him somewhere. I hope the guy gets a chance. But I was like, with the new contract, I think it's impossible. Rumor the next day. Literally, no shit. Next day, Watson might want to trade. He might force a trade. So who knows? Maybe Bradley Bill does the same thing. But he is literally just like Deshaun Watson. Locked up in a shitty franchise. Now he's stuck with Russell Westbrook, who's in purgatory, like James Harden's going to be. Um, on my break, I looked on my phone, and there's a break, breaking news about James Harden saying it's not going to work. The Rockets are broken. Get me out of here. Who the hell would want something like that? A guy like that who's just... Not, doesn't work with a team and never going to win a championship. That's West, Russell Westbrook to me as well. So someone please say Bradley Bill. The guy is a walking bucket. He's doing all the right things. He deserves to win somewhere else. And I hate when team guys switch teams, but when you're in a franchise that is doing absolutely nothing right and is just burning your prime, that's a little different situation. You know, I, I wanted to say at the start of the year that the Lakers want to repeat, but with all the COVID, we've already got some postponed games coming up. Um, you know, it's early. Could it get worse? Who knows? Are they going to have to make changes? Who knows? But one thing I do know is the Lakers have experience and they look like the most consistent, well-managed team in the league right now. And it's going to be hard to say that they don't know that they're not going to repeat. I mean, they know out of the West, like every game matters. It's super important. The West is just cannibalizing themselves right now, but you got to get a top three seed. So you don't play the better, uh, skilled teams right away, or it can be put in an upset situation. So, you know, they're they're doing they're taking care of business, they're getting the job done. It's gonna be hard to bet against them. My guy, Mikel Bridges, ex Villanova stud, shout out Nova. Damn, put up 30-something points the other day, nine of twelve shooting from deep. That guy's legit. And the Suns are a pretty good squad with having him do that. And we're not naming Chris Paul. We're not naming Devontae Booker. But they're not good enough in the West. The West is too stacked. I think they're a little too early. You know, Chris Paul will probably move on and they'll have to figure something out in the future. But it's a fun team to watch. So let's get into the rankings. Now, ESPN does power rankings. You guys probably see Bleacher Report power rankings. You probably see, I don't know, Sports Illustrated. You see NBA.com. I mean, they're everywhere. Now, my rankings are based off current play that we've seen. I think this is week four, so three weeks of basketball in a couple days correlated with how I think they'll actually perform in the playoffs and are set up to make a run at the championship so my first block is the contenders first one Lakers too much leadership young athletic talent the Dennis Schroeders of the world right the changes that they made from last year getting Marcus Gasol who you could clearly tell that the Raptors are missing right now um, I think they're number one it's hard to say like I said didn't want to put them there but there's no other team that I think you can put above them I'm going to put the Bucks at number two. I always talk trash. They're never going to win a championship. They're not good enough. But Drew Holiday, from what I've seen, is definitely an upgrade. I watched the Jazz smack them the other night. But I saw Giannis hit a couple threes, take a couple deep shots. So if they improve on that, Drew Holiday gets momentum, gets chemistry. That team's going to be hard to beat. Uh, the best example I could give you is Mike Conley coming to the Jazz last year. Right? Everyone's like, oh, Mike Conley's washed. He can't do it. Look at him now. He's averaging 20-something points. He's controlling the team potentially playing better than Donovan. Um, the guy knows what he's doing. It just takes time to mold a new team, right? 
Drew Holiday hasn't been on a team like this. No one ever plays with someone like the Greek Freak that just like takes the ball and runs it to the hole. So, um, you know, give them some time. They're going to do some magical stuff. Got the Nets. I would like to put them number one. They have so much damn talent. And KD, right? He had the injury. An injury like that, you might not be the same guy coming back. Me and one of my coworkers were like, is he going to be KD or is he going to be Easy Money Sniper? Right? That's his Twitter handle. He's Easy Money Sniper because he's Easy Money anywhere on the floor. That's who we got this year. Easy Money Sniper. He balled out today with the Nets. I mean, he looks like the same guy that he was. That's going to be a tough team to beat if him or Kyrie are rolling on all levels. But Kyrie's worried about flat earth stuff right now or who knows what his personal problems are. So they got some issues, and that's why they're not number one in my rankings. Number four, or that's four, one, two, three. Number four, the Clippers. Can't bet against the Claw, man. Can't bet against the Claw. I bet against the Claw when he was in San, Di- uh, San Antonio. He showed me I shouldn't have. They'll get shit figured out. It was their first first year together last year. Like I said, it takes time. Big three in Miami. You don't win the first year right away, right? I just I just think they're too good. And these are still all contenders. Going to get some flack for this one. But behind the Clippers, at one, two, three, four, five, I got the Jazz. They've got too deep of a team. we got Jordan Clarkson as the sixth man of the year candidate. They're shooting the lights out. And Conley is molding with the team. They have too big lineup, uh, too big flexibility in their lineup with Derek Favors back. You got big teams like the Bucks playing against you with Brooke Lopez, Giannis. You could put the Favors, uh, Derek Favors with Rudy Gobert, the Stifle Tower. They're a solid team. I'm betting on Don improving. He's still young. And shit, their owners offering scholarships for every win to a minority student. How awesome is that? I wish more of this happened. More teams could do stuff like this. I saw this article. I, I, you know, it'd be amazing to have them on the podcast talk about these things one day. Business of buckets coming at you. But man, I think that's so cool. New owner coming from Qualtrics takes over, making changes. That's the stuff we need to see today. This is how we make difference, and this is how sports can make a difference. Really cool to see. But I do have the Jazz number five. Don't think that's too biased with the well-rounded team that they have. Good on defense. Their defensive numbers are a little lower, but they'll get better. You can't be bad at defense with the Stifle Tower on the squad. Number six, I got the Celtics. First thing I want to know about the Celtics is who's better, Tatum or Brown? I, I'm taking Brown. If I'm building a team, I want Jalen Brown. He's a better all-around player, always in the on the plus-minus, really big in the plus. I like the guy. Tatum's an elite scorer, absolutely, but man, Jalen Brown's a stud. And you get to see a little bit more of that with Gordon Hayward out. Gordo's doing his thing in Charlotte. Wasn't a good fit. It, it's not always a good fit. But, man, I do like that Jalen Brown. And is, is Peyton Pritchard really better than Jeff Teague? Is Jeff Teague just, like, losing it? Wash? They got Peyton Pritchard playing more minutes than him. I like Peyton, right? He's a senior coming out of Oregon, looks like a pure player. But is that guy going to get any better, or, or, or is he already the best player that he is? But supposedly he's better than Jeff Teague. That's hard for me to believe. That's kind of crazy. You know, where's Carson Edwards? Is he just not good enough? He's not on the team anymore. I'd love to see that guy get some more opportunities. But the Celtics are too deep, too good to coach. They're in the East. They're right there. Right behind the Celtics, I got the Mavericks. Porzingis is back. Been watching Luka play. I've been watching their team play. They got Timmy Hardaway. They got playmakers. It's going to be tough for them to... Uh, not get better and better throughout the year. So I have them right there because I do think they're in the contender slot and I do think they have an opportunity for a championship. The hardest part is you're in the West, so good luck because you'll probably be matched up against the top dog right off the bat. Next, I got Miami Heat. 
They got a mix of youth. They got some good, experienced players like Jimmy Buckets. They have a great coach. They got a great front office. They'll probably make a trade deadline move. If they don't, they'll do something next year. Hopefully, they get Bradley Beal. But look at that guy, Tyler Hero. Tonight, he balled out in the spotlight. Jimmy was out. So was Bam. Uh, their, their, their new draft pick, Precious, from Kentucky, I believe. Maybe it was Memphis. He's looking really good. Uh, they're going to be a tough team to beat. They're too scrappy, too well-rounded. Next bracket, I have the need-to-make-a-move-but-dangerous teams. These guys are the teams that are right there, but I think they need to make an adjustment. They need to add somebody, make a trade move to really compete for the championship. So first, I got the Pacers. Just too good a team ball. Sabonis is showing you how good he is. Uh, it's a lot It's a lot of fun to win, a lot of fun to watch, and they'll continually win if Victor Oladipo plays better ball, gets more consistent. It's hard off injury. It does take some time. But they're going to need him to really improve or make some sort of move to take it to the next level. They could definitely use some bench scoring. Um, after them, I got the 76ers. They beat the Heat without Jimmy Butler and Bam in overtime tonight. Wasn't too impressed with that. But... You know, Embiid, if he keeps keeps getting better, I just think they're too good. I haven't seen any improvement from Ben Simmons, though, which is really freaking me out a little bit. He barely scored. He had 12 dimes tonight. He was facilitating. But that guy's got to be putting up 20 points a night if they want to make it to contention. And then right below the Sixers, I have the Nuggets. You know, Jokic is amazing. I haven't seen a lot much more from Jamal Murray. I think the bubble was a little bit of an epiphany for him. Uh, But it'll be interesting to see how they turn out. Uh, They still have a lot of good players and um, are, are going to be a team no one wants to play when it comes to playoff time. Ask the Clippers. Ask the Jazz, sadly. And then the rest is just the field. So these are the teams uh, that I rank in order that I just don't think have a chance this year, uh, but I, I've ranked them anyways. So after the Nuggets, we got the Suns. Then I got the Magic. Then I got the Blazers. I have the Suns and Magic over the Blazers because the Blazers were the best team they were a couple years ago, and I haven't seen them getting any better. Devontae Booker is too good of a skill. The Magic have too well-rounded of a team. Uh, Vujacic is one of the most underrated guys in the league. I know Blazer fans are going to hate this, but you're just not good enough. Sorry, Dame Dalla. Hulu's paying them fat money, though, apparently. Right below the Blazers, I got the Warriors. Steph Curry alone. Wiseman's going to get better throughout the season. After the Pelicans, I got the or after the Warriors, I got the Pelicans. Fun team to watch. Brandon Ingram's a stud. Just not good enough to be up in those upper echelons. Below the Pelicans, I got the Hawks. Then I got the Thunder. After the Thunder, I got the Raptors. I can't believe that the Raptors are so low this year and have performed so lowly, but they have no bench whatsoever and no big guy. The loss of Gasol is really hurting them, and it's kind of surprising to see because Gasol is definitely getting older and didn't get a lot of credit, uh, but they're going to have to figure something out in the big man position. Below the Raptors, I got the Hornets. Gordo's doing his thing. Ball's getting improvement, right? It's a fun team to watch. They got P.J. Washington. They got uh, Devontae Graham. It's actually a fun team to watch. I like this middle class here that's not contenders, but you put them on a game. I'm watching the Pelicans. I'm watching Steph Curry. I'm watching the Hawks. I'm watching the Hornets. Below them, we got the Spurs. Then the Rockets. The Rockets are a shit show. They're all the way down there. They should be in the need to make a move, but dangerous or a contender slot, but they're not. Then we got the Kings. We got Swipe the Fox. Buddy Hill just not taking much better improvements. The team's not winning enough games. Halliburton looks like one of their better players already. Then we got the Grizzlies. Then we got the Knicks. 
And the very, very bottom feeders, we got Wizards, Bulls, Cavs, T-Wolves, and at the bottom, the Pistons. That's my rankings. Let me know what you think. I'll post the rankings on Twitter, bracket them, number them for you guys so you guys have those visuals. But yeah, let me know what you think. Uh, it's going to be a fun NBA season. Like I said, I think it's going to be pretty similar um, to the NFL with all this COVID issue that I think the more experienced teams definitely have the advantage and you know teams don't have a lot of new faces and aren't figuring things out. Uh, it's just it's, it's going to be a hard season to pull together and they're going to have to go through a lot of the stuff that the NFL did because COVID's not cured. So, And who knows if the vaccine is ever going to do its thing. What's on top this coming week, right? I have my show every Wednesday out for you guys. So what do we have forecasted coming up? We got Lakers Thunder tomorrow. Dennis Schroeder's return to the Lakers. Or excuse me, to the Thunder. He's on the Lakers now. That'll be fun. Bet you they give him some opportunities to get some buckets. That night on ESPN, tomorrow night, we got Pelicans versus Clippers. That's going to be a fun game. Like I told you, love watching the Pelicans. It'll be interesting to see Zion and Ingram versus the Clippers defense. We got some postponed games, right? So like I said, it's going to be a crazy season. We got the 76ers versus the Heat on Thursday. They just played in overtime without Jimmy and Bam. Jimmy and Plan play. It'll be their second game in thir- thir- three days, so that'll be a lot of fun. The Mavs versus Bucks on Friday. That's like the circled game. Everyone wants to watch that game, especially with Porzingis back. Hopefully he plays. You know, sometimes you come back, kind of like Carl Anthony Towns, you take a couple days off, you play again, then you get in two consistent minutes and rhythms. Hopefully he plays quite a bit that night. That's going to be a fun game. It's on ESPN. And that same day on ESPN, the later of their doubleheader is Pelicans-Lakers. Again, it's hard not to want to watch Zion and the Pelicans, especially against the Lakers. Zion versus LeBron going to be a fun story. Next day on Saturday, we got Jazz versus Nuggets, little playoff bubble rematch. Obviously, I'm a Jazz fan. Going to tune into that one. Watch Jamal and Don score over 40, hopefully. Uh, later that day, there's the Pacers versus the Clippers. I want to see the Pacers against a good Western Conference team to see how Sabonis and crew handles that. That'll be on NBA TV. Um, Warriors-Lakers that Monday. Is that going to be an amazing game? I don't know, but we're watching Steph Curry and LeBron get buckets. It can't be that bad. That's like mono mono going to be an awesome game. If you're a prop better, bet the shit out of points on that game. And then finishing out the week before I talk to you guys again, we got Jazz versus Pelicans on NBA TV. Uh, last year they had some crazy shootouts in overtime and just some fun games, so I'm excited to watch that. That's it for the NBA front now as we transition into college basketball. Like I said, it's a tough season. There's lots of postponements. I'm a Nova guy. They haven't played in like a month. There are some games that are happening, though, and it is kind of fun. Now that I talk to you guys about it more, I'm more excited about it. Last week, we talked about Minnesota. They had some big games coming up. One got postponed. They lost two. They're not legit. I watched the game against Wisconsin. They just don't look very good. Wisconsin trounced them. They'll probably fall out of the rankings, and I'll be surprised if they're a ranked team by the end of the year. Sorry, Minnesota fans. I do know Texas is legit. I can't wait that for them to actually play Baylor, as they were supposed to earlier this year, and it got postponed because of COVID. Um, but that's going to be an awesome Big 12 rivalry. Shout out to my guy Cody Morjo. He emailed me. He said, Shane, I love what you're doing, man. Give me a little detail of the Texas. Give me a little preview window of my Texas 
Longhorns. We're actually relevant. He's probably like, hey, we're actually relevant. Texas has been struggling for a long time. Uh, nice little jab for you there, Cody. But, hey, man, shout out for your squad. Thanks for, for tuning in and, and messaging me out. I love when fans engage. It's what it's all about. I'd love to talk about the topics you guys want to hear. Because I tune into ESPN right now. I tune into all these big networks. It's all the same shit. They're talking about kids on social media and stuff I don't care about. You want the good stuff. Business and buckets is where it's at. But I could see Texas being a very solid Elite Eight team. Potentially a Final Four team depending on how the bracket turns out. That's always the biggest piece with college basketball. If they even have one, it's supposed to be in a bubble. And how they look versus Baylor, right? If they handle business against Baylor... I mean, that's definitely going to shift the momentum of that um, conference, and I think will we'll make a big difference of how the bracket rolls out. I did watch them play against Nova, and one of the things I noticed is as Nova was going to their playmakers in the second half when it was, you know, last, ten, uh, last six minutes of the game, we kept feeding our main guys, Earl Robinson. We gave it to Jalen Samuel. We started taking over, and Texas just kind of looked lost. It doesn't seem like they have a go-to guy this year, even though they have some older dudes. Some of their younger dudes are the better uh, players on the team. So it'll be interesting to see how they improve that in bigger games and if they have somebody that can be the go-to guy. And they don't do really well against a very fast-paced team like Nova with athletic guards that are going to be quick. They're going to be pressing you through the court. Texas has good guards of their own, but they like to set up the ball. They like to get into their motions, uh, set their screens, and when you're pushing them through the, uh, full court, they're just not working like that. So it will be interesting to see how that how they you know adjust through those um complications as well but man shaka smart has his squad rolling like i said texas is relevant again it's fun to watch they seem legit they seem to be like one of the six teams that are in it to win uh that can actually go in and win this thing the rankings are shit you see teams like minnesota that are high up there and other teams that aren't very good um you know it's hard to rank teams you usually put the bigger school names because of covid and you know some teams have barely played any ball this far um they need their highly touted freshman, Greg Brown, who is a big, big recruit, to really continue to be a double-double machine and own the boards, though, man. Um, their guards are great. They're not big at boarding. This guy's been averaging damn near a double-double. They're going to need a lot more of that if they want to win uh, big games in the conference, like West Virginia, who they just beat, and Baylor. He's got to really improve. I mean, he's a freshman. You'd imagine by tournament time, this guy's rolling. They have senior Matt Coleman. This was the name that you know stuck out to me. I've seen him play the past few years. He's just been a name that's been around. And he needs to be the guy that on the stretch, I think, right? When I was talking about the Nova game, I was expecting him to take over. He barely got the ball. Didn't shoot that well. He's got to be that guy. He's got to be the senior that pulls the team together. And then they have Kai Jones. He's kind of like their sixth man off the bench. He always is flowing right, right under 10 points. He's got to be a double-digit point getter. You got to have someone running that second uh, squad and he's he's got to be the guy I know that's Cody's guy uh, Kai Jones so we'll, we'll see how that works but I think the biggest piece with this team is Andrew Jones he's got to be consistent Shaka said he's his best player his best shooter and I just quite haven't seen the consistency there to make me believe that and the Big 12 is tough there it's a very battle-tested conference so whoever comes out of that unscathed well, no one's going to come out of that unscathed but whoever comes out of that and you know beats the top dogs like the Baylors, the West Virginia, they're going to be ready come tournament time. And I think that's the big key is making sure Andrew, you know, Andrew Jones has got to get a shot going. You got to run plays to get him involved, get his confidence up, and and they're going to have some big uh, big tests. I mean, you look at Oklahoma State; they already beat them. But Cunningham, he's one of the most touted names in all of college basketball. He's looking great. I think he scored twenty five tonight when they beat Kansas, who's overrated as well. I thought they were legit. 
it's just Kansas. They're falling apart. They're not quite like Duke. Duke's really falling apart right now. Uh, but Cunningham looked really good, and that Oklahoma State's going to be lurking as the, as the season progresses. And I think West Virginia will as well. West Virginia's got um, Jarrett Culver's brother, and, and he's been doing well. So it's kind of cool to see that. You love to see the brother combo. Uh, Jarrett's in the NBA right now. I'm not sure what team he's on, but I remember him in the tournament making moves, so it'll be interesting to see how his brother does. And um, they're just not going to be a team you want to play. You don't want to play West Virginia. Also, Virginia Tech, they look good today. They beat Duke. They beat Nova earlier in the year. And these teams have the same thing in common, fast athletic guards. So we'll see how they do with that, but I'm pretty confident Texas, Elite Eight team, but depending on the tournament and how you know, long there's no COVID issues or anything like that, they could be a Final Four, and I'll definitely have them far in my bracket. Michigan, man. Holy shit, I was wa- I'm putting my script together, looking at the games, and, and Michigan's playing Wisconsin. Figured it'd be a pretty good game. Wisconsin's doing pretty good. Trice underperforming, but he's starting to get some momentum going on. I was like, cool, let me watch this game as I write this, and this will give me a lot of intel on Michigan because I love Juwan Howard, right? You know, he's been a, he was part of the Fab Five. He was in Miami for, like, way too long, but he was there coaching, and I just knew he'd be a great coach. And just watching the culture, the momentum, the chemistry his team has, they were buying into it. I think they were up on Michigan by, like, 30 points at one point and ended up beating them by 20. But, man, not Michigan, Wisconsin. Yeah, Michigan looks good, man. I think really what it comes down to is, again, the small group of teams and then the field. So the small group of teams I have, Michigan, Baylor, Nova, Texas, Gonzaga, and Iowa. Really good squads. Really good squads. Michigan joined that picture. I don't think they've lost as of yet. Uh, They had some COVID issues earlier in the year, but as teams get more games... You know, because they miss games, they'll put those post games, postponed games on the schedule, maybe do some tournament-style games to get some more action in. These are the teams that you're really going to see that are just leaps and bounds ahead of the other teams. And maybe we'll see some smaller school teams that move up in the rankings once they get some more games in. Because, man, the, that second half of the rankings just really, I'm not impressed with them at all. All right. MLB. The stove is heating up a little bit, Finally. A little crazy though. Liam Hendricks, whoo, three years, fifty-four million. That's a lot for a reliever, especially when the White Sox paid Alex Colom all that money. And look at how that worked out. I do think Liam Hendricks is better. He's one of the better closers. They've rated on the best reliever in all of baseball this year, which is still kind of crazy to me. Um, but that was a huge move. Ben Attendee looks to be getting traded here any day now. The Lindor trade just happened. Angels and Marlins are on it are in on Wilson Contreras. So we'll see how that works out. He's a big time catcher that can make a change to a squad. And the MLB announced that they're expecting fans this year. So I'm super pumped about that. Hopefully the state of Washington doesn't screw us. Uh, so we can't go to Mariners games. No, I'm not going to Mariners cause I'm a Mariners fan and really want to watch the Mariners, but I'll watch all the other big name teams and the angels when they come to town. So please, hopefully the state of Washington, we can make that happen. Uh, because I think we, you know, the world could use some sunshine and baseball. Last thing, Trevor Bauer. I saw a report that he doesn't want a one-year contract anymore, and he wants a five-year deal with big money. Is that guy worth it? That's the question. I just keep thinking to myself, because I'm an Angel fan, and we need an ace. Would I pay Trevor Bauer five years, twenty high 20s, $30 million, and would that be a good investment? The guy 
has been pretty consistent the past couple of years, even though he's been on different teams. He's got the stuff. I just don't think it's good for a long-term contract. But he always wanted the one-year contract to keep boosting his stock. So, I mean, who knows what the hell this guy wants, but guys like him and their agents need to get this moving because it is January 12th now. Almost all of the top 100 free agents the past like seven years have been signed at this point, and we still have most of them not signed. So please give us some baseball fans some excitement. Get us prepped up for the new season. You know, the Lindor trade was a nice little start. The signing of Hendricks, good job, White Sox and Padres. You guys are doing your jobs. But everybody else, let's get this stove hot. Let's get this rolling so that we can get pumped for the new baseball season. Everyone's ready for Mike Trout. No offense, he's the best player in baseball. All right, guys. Well, episode two, that's it for the show. I'm super pumped that we got another show in. Excited to to talk more football, divisional round football, preview the AFC and the NFC championships, some of the best games you'll find. Like, I could already see it. We got Saints. We got Packers. You got Breeze. You got Rodgers. Then on the AFC, we got Mahomes, right? One of the best quarterbacks we'll probably ever see. Breeze and Rodgers are definitely there. And then we probably will have the Ravens because I changed my pick and I said it. And because I said it, it's going to happen. Not really. But there's going to be some good games. I can't wait. Basketball's heating up. Maybe Kyrie Irving will play so we could watch a little bit of next action. College basketball hopefully gets this COVID shit handled so that we could watch some more hoops. But lots of good sports coming up. UFC will be able to talk about next week. Prepare for the Conor McGregor card. Recap Holloway's win over uh, Cater. And we'll be able to... Um, really just enjoy the time. Also, one last thing. We got the business episode coming out. Two weeks. Got it releasing. Oh, forgot the date. We got it releasing on the 27th. I'll post that on my socials. Engage with my socials. Comment on YouTube. Send me emails. If you guys want me to dive into it, I'm super, you know, I'm ready to dive into it. Give you guys what you want. Other than that, Business 2 is sponsored by Fueled Supplements. Make sure to check them out. Use business or uh, promo code BUCKETS to get 20% off any of your supplements. I love their multivitamin. They got their your Fueled Greens. I use the Comeback for Recovery. They have like three or four different pre-workouts. They've just launched 1NMF, which is a protein scooper worth of protein. Supposed to knock your socks off. Can't wait to get some in, so I give you guys some re- reviews on it. And what is 1NMF, you ask? Shane, well, one NMF is one nasty motherfucker because it'll get you ready to pump some iron, hit your goals. So let's get it. Stay tuned. Episode three. Thanks. Mic check, mic check. Holy shit. If I just did that whole thing with the microphone off, that would fucking kill me. <laughs>